Spooky, the podcast home of all things Southern, Spooky, and today, a few more Spectral Lights. Mm-hmm. We'd like to invite you to our Facebook page and feel free to comment and leave us a few likes. Also, you can find us on multiple podcast platforms, including Amazon and Audible. We hope you'll leave us a five-star review for our impeccable services. <laughs> also, if you feel so inclined, visit our Patreon. This is Carolina Girl. And this is Florida Man. And we are so glad you joined us today. Mm-hmm. So what are we covering today? Well, we've already covered the Brown Mountain Lights. Yeah, like, like ten episodes ago. Right. Generations of North Carolina natives have grown up with tales of the Brown Mountain Lights. North mm-hmm. Carolina is home to at least ten ghost lights between the mountains and the coast, including the Mako Lights, the Mance Lights, and the Cove City Light. For now... We're going to start with the Pactolus light. Yeah, which my friend Scott has told me about. (laughs) Many times. Yeah. (laughs) So Pactolus. Yeah. It sounds like it should be in Greece or something. Or a Harry Potter spell of some sort. Could be. But it's a small community east of Greenville. Okay. Now, I don't know why North Carolina gets all those spooky ghost lights, but apparently they... Well, I guess Myrtle Beach, we get UFOs, but that's different. Yeah. So the tale. We start in the 1910s. A young man rode his horse from Greenville, North Carolina, mm-hmm. to Pactolus to meet a train. Yeah, which is, uh, it's like 11 miles. Yes. So today, that would be, you know, a few minutes in a car. Yeah. Edwin Cox was his name. He was enrolled at the East Carolina Teachers Training School, today known as East Carolina University. Mm-hmm. A young lady and fellow student was due to arrive on the train coming from Richmond, Virginia. Indeed. Yeah, they had met the previous semester, and our young man wanted to surprise her by meeting her there. It was Mr. Cox's intention to propose upon that meeting. Though some variations have them already engaged or even married at this point, I don't really know. Okay. Just depends on which one you read, of course. Gotcha. Now, unfortunately, the train was very late. The young man was soon alone in the dark. Now, I'm not sure if it never came or if it was just super late, but he didn't want to wait for it, but he left. Yeah. Edwin decided to turn around and head back home. Another, I don't even know how long it would be on the horse, but a while. Yeah. His only companion on this journey was his horse at, well, companion and means of transport. And the horse attracted the attention of three young men who were walking along the track. So I guess he wasn't entirely alone, but... They weren't great company. These three decided that the riding to their destination was far preferable to walking to their destination. Can you guess what happened? They totally Red Dead Redemptioned his ass and took his horse? I'm going to assume probably. So they attacked him as he trotted by and they killed him. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah? Okay. Then they hid his body deep in the woods. But their plan kind of went astray, if you will, because the horse ran away. Okay. Skittish creatures being what they are. They are, indeed. Well, unless they're trained not to be skittish, like horses that gallop into battle. Those are the ones that were, like, trained not to be skittish at all. Well, I somehow don't think a teacher's horse in, in the 1910s was, was not, trained yeah, for that. It was like, no, no, no kind of war horse or anything. But no, yeah. no. Well, his family, Edwin's family, was already a bit worried about him because he'd been gone for a while. And so after a couple of days, two or three days, when the horse returned home without his rider... They absolutely feared for the worst. So they ventured out to the young man's destination and searched the train station and all the surrounding area. But the three men had really hidden him well, and as far as I know, to this day, he's not been found. 
Okay. Well, he may have, been, may have been found by now, but at least according to the story, he was never found. And in the years since his murder, the young man's ghost is seen walking beside the train tracks. Gotcha. Now, he doesn't take a human shape. He manifests as a light. Sometimes the light floats at waist level, mm-hmm. like he's walking beside his horse. And other times the light floats kind of head level, like he's riding the horse. Alrighty. So, allegedly, apparently, evidently, the young man uses the light to let his fiance know that he was there to meet her. I'm that's, here. That's kind of sad. I know, that's, I know. Yeah. Now, according to local lore... If you drive your car down the old dirt road where the tracks used to be mm-hmm. in eastern Pitt County, isn't that such specific directions? Right. So you flash your headlights three times, you'll see the light appear in reply. But I imagine if you have today's super bright high beams, you'll just blast them into oblivion. <laughs> hey, Scott, since you're so close to this dirt road and, and the story, why don't you go and flash your lights and let us know what happens? <laughs> Well, this tale is a favorite from the students of ECU, the aforementioned Eastern Carolina, and they use it in their fraternity and sorority initiation rites. Okay. Or at least they used to. I think they still do. I found a story posted by a former pledge of the school named Ted Willis. It's online. You can find him. Okay. In typical Greek life form, he would not disclose or divulge anything about the whole pledge process. Mm -hmm. Clearly, the nuclear codes are easier to get than that. But he did note that it involved the light. Well, I love how walking down some old dirt road expecting lights is akin to skull and bones practices. <laughs> I don't know. But it, he also did state that if you're out there and you use naughty language, not looking at you, oh, Florida man, um, the ghost light... Would... <laughs> I would have offended him. Yes, the ghost light turns red in disapproval. I guess, you know, Edwin was a proper gentleman and a teacher. Now, the tracks have been removed. I couldn't find when exactly they were removed. Okay. And so all that remains now is just the path, the yeah. bed that the tracks were in. And the land is privately owned. And Which the, means you probably have to get permission to go out yeah, there. Yeah, the owner doesn't like trespassers for some odd reason. Yeah, I imagine. Mm. As I understand, the directions are sort of vague. It's like down the kind of gravel road to the dirt path, but he's piled a bunch of dirt on the path so people won't <laughs> drive so, their cars. So it's, a dirt, <laughs> so it's a dirty dirt path? It, yes. there's well, an ex- uh, it's, Okay. It's a dirt path with extra dirt. Gotcha. So this is all we have for this one so far, Yeah, huh? I mean... Scott, as we look at him accusingly, yeah. it's a good story. It's just short. There's not yeah. much to it. Mm-hmm. And I've looked up like five or six different sources. You can tell I'm not like writing my dissertation on it, but right. I did look around. So I thought, why don't we compare this to another light story? So moving right along. Move along. Move along. So we're going to do the Mako light, which was another supposedly ghost light occasionally okay. seen between the late 19th century and 1977. And this is still in North Carolina, so... Yeah, I mean, they get all of the special light. Along a section of railroad track near the unincorporated community of Mako Station... So another railroad, another light... Though this one's named for a shark, kind of. That would be with a K, not a C. Okay, well, you know, it sounds the same. Yeah. I'd like the idea of a shark conductor. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm just composing a strange child's book in my head. Um, so here's the common version of the legend. On a rainy night in 1867. Thank you. Conductor Joe Baldwin was in the rear car of a Wilmington-bound train. 
As the train neared Mako, Baldwin noticed, that sort of understatement there, noticed yeah. with great concern that his car had somehow become oh detached from the rest of the train. Well, how could you not notice that? I suppose it's just, you know, how they write about it afterward. Well, I mean, he's noticed. Like, he's, <laughs> it's just like you're just kind of standing there and you're like, why am I slowing down? And you look and the train is like a quarter mile away from you and you're like, well, darn. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what else are you going to say at that point? But, oh, I would say a lot more than that, but... Yeah, probably, but, you know, he was probably trying to keep his composure. He knew someone would write about it later. Yeah. And he also knew another train was following not too terribly far behind. So he ran to the rear platform and waved a lantern to signal the oncoming train. The engineer of that next train, it says, failed to see the uncoupled railroad car in time. It is entirely possible he did see it, but we know, you know, you can't exactly just yeah, you stop can't a train. stop on a dime when, a tra- when you're in a train. So as I understand, it takes them, what, like two miles to actually slow down Something to a stop? Something like that, yeah. They didn't stop in time. Baldwin was killed, and this is always a part of the story, famously decapitated. Decapitation! In the inevitable collision and some variants of the story add always that baldwin's head was never found there's just some sort of void next to railroad tracks where things just disappear entirely well and then the ghost of the other dude's horse came along and they met up and he became the headless horseman (laughs) okay i didn't see that one coming (laughs) so okay shortly after the accident residents of mako not named for a shark apparently And railroad employees alike reported sightings of a white light along a section of the railroad track. Yeah. The light was said to appear in the distance and approach along the tracks facing east, bobbing at a height of about five feet. I just pictured them out there with a, you know, measuring tape. (laughs) And either flying to the side of the track in an arc, like it had been hit, I guess, or receding gently from the viewer. Ah, okay. Earliest stories date back from the 1870s. Yeah. And until the 1886 Charleston earthquake, which I didn't even know there was one. Neither did I. Up until that point, two lights were reported. Don't know what the source of those are. Trains have occasionally been stopped or delayed due to the activities of the light, which had been seen from locomotive cabs even. In 1946, the railroad, I want to say telegrapher, but that doesn't, telegrapher, I guess. Yeah. Journal reported that the light had been seen on March 3rd that year, 1946, and suggested it had been appearing for some 70 years previously. Now, much like with Kate the Bell Witch, uh, there is alleged interaction with Andrew Jackson. Okay. This one, one commonly cited aspect of this legend is that the light was discussed with President Grover Cleveland. Yeah, Grover Cleveland. Our only Grover president, by the way. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly I'm thinking of, like, the monster at the end of the book. When his train was stopped at Mako in 1889. Let's hope he wasn't doing any surreptitious surgeries on this. Right. This detail seems to have originated with the Atlantic Coastline employee with the unfortunate name of B.M. Jones. <laughs> Jones, however, he wasn't working at the time. He was a child at the time he was present. So I'm not sure how... He could have just made the whole thing up, but I don't know. I'm sure you can look and see if President Cleveland ever was on this trip. I don't know. Aren't you fascinated by that part? I am. I I am. (laughs) Well, the legend became widely known across the region, and the site was frequented by curiosity seekers like they do. Mm -hmm. And in the 1950s and 60s, it became a common local pastime to park by the tracks at night and try to glimpse the phenomenon. 
as you know, any lights, there's always going to be the people who are like, we must see them. Yeah, and I wonder if if it's just the fact that you get to see them, or is it actually exciting? You've seen the Brown Mountain Lights. Yeah. Were you just more confused or excited, or what was your feeling? Well, um, uh, the whole—I mean, we discussed this beforehand in the uh, in the episode about the Brown Mountain Lights. Yeah, but that was it ten was, episodes. Ago. It was just one of those things of, huh? <laughs> okay, that's a thing. All right then. Well, yeah. you're also kind of famously a lot more calm yeah. <laughs> in most situations. It was just like, huh? Okay, cool. You're very stoic. So Life Magazine devoted a two-page article to the light, its own little centerfold there, Wow! in an October 1957 issue. Mm-hmm. Photographers from the Wilmington Star News attempted to photograph the light in 1946 and again in 1955, claiming partial success. I, How do you define partial success? Yeah, we got a picture of it, but it was blurry. Well, considering it was what, the mid-40s and then in, again the mid-50s? If we're getting video on our modern YouTube shows where... Like, it looked like it was filmed on Chalupa? Yeah. Y- yeah, so I can't imagine... I, mean, I don't know what any what the photographic history would be, but I imagine it would be kind of hard to do. Well, Maybe. I, mean, I, don't yeah, I, don't I don't know. I don't know. I'm, yeah, partial. We may success. have to confer with one of our photography people and see if they know. Yeah. But yeah, probably partial success is something moved, something didn't work right, something's blurry... It's a light, but it could be anything, you know, that sort of stuff. Bob, Bob, put down the flashlight and come back this way. (laughs) Oh, it went away. Now, Joseph Dunninger, Mm -hmm. I think, is how you say his name, visited Mako in 1957 without managing to see the light. Now, Dunninger was kind of the Houdini of his time. He was a mentalist, a magician, and a professional debunker of fraudulent mediums. Yeah, I mean, Houdini often used the word of humbug. Yes. Which is like saying BS nowadays. Oh, yeah. well, yes, it was much more polite back then, yeah. but same yeah. kind of thing. In 1964, there was an investigation by paranormal researcher Hans Holzer. I've got a few books by him. Oh. Led to the latter concluding, despite failing to see the phenomenon himself, that Baldwin did not realize he was dead and was still warning oncoming trains of disconnected rail cars. And, I mean, honestly, the version I've always heard, and I don't know that it was specifically the Mako light, but I've heard the story of a light on a railroad, and it was always that the guy who died is looking for his head. Which, again, how would you know? How do you look for something if your eyes are on the thing that's that's missing? Deep considerations here. Deep paranormal philosophical discussions. Well, I mean, think about it. Here in the U.S., we have... Uh, if you if you look at videos and stuff like that of ghosts that have been captured, it's all regional based. In Mexico or South America, most ghosts are of women in long white dresses, La Llorona. In Japan, it's either an overweight bald man who is in his underwear or a a girl with long black hair and a white like it's all regional here we get most of our ghosts are confederate war fighters and well yeah i mean so i wonder if it is that people kind of i don't know turn into the ghosts that they expect to be maybe of course you have asked this question before if you die how is it if your spirit takes on your form where do the clothes come from maybe you have to will them into existence i would hope so but it would be really embarrassing if all of our ghosts were naked. I would just stand there and helicopter at somebody. Oh <laughs> my <God>. Okay. <clears throat> of course, 
Getting back to the script, real facts <laughs> intervene, and we must consider them when delighting in legend. Mm-hmm. I am proud of that phrase. That was a good one. That was a good one. Thank you. According to newspaper accounts for the Wilmington Railroad Museum, there was no report of an 1867 accident, nor a record of a Joe Baldwin. Nowadays, we have a lot of Baldwins, but he's not one of them. Yes. There was a conductor called Charles Baldwin who had mm-hmm. been killed in an incident in January 1856. Mm-hmm. Close to the later side of the Mako station. Okay. So in this, a locomotive pulled out of its station, leaving the rest of the train behind. Okay. And it went to work out some technical problems. Yeah. Which, in my mind, I'm now seeing like Thomas the Tank or the little engine that could going to therapy. <laughs> Maybe they're in group therapy. Maybe. But upon returning, somehow, you think they would do this exercise a lot. The locomotive kind of crashed into the rest of the train. And our second Baldwin was thrown clear, not necessarily decapitated. That was not part of the story. But he did die from his injuries. Which I imagine would suck. No doubt. Getting hit by two pieces of a train coming together. Yeah. The coroner's report laid the blame on Baldwin for failing to hang a lamp on the train, I guess is before OSHA, to alert the engineers. Come with me and you'll be in a world of OSHA violation. That moment of weirdness brought to you by Florida Man. (laughs) So there's some garbled memories, if you will, some overlap of the stories between Mm -hmm. the death of Charles Baldwin, which may have contributed to the legend of Joe Baldwin, and his story. Sorry, I'm just trying to get away from that moment of of the singing. (laughs) A 1972 article in the Wilmington Star News argued that most investigators had believed the light was traceable to refraction from car headlights on a nearby highway, U.S. Route 74. It was swamp gas. Swamp gas did it. Totally. I mean, that's always the reason, right? Yeah. Reprinting a 1950 long-exposure photograph of the light. I wonder if it's that this is the partial yeah, success. <laughs> yeah, this is probably the partial success. The newspaper stated that a bend in the highway was the cause of the phenomenon. <laughs> Both amber and red lights had been seen close to the main light when viewed through a telescope, which would correspond to truck turn and brake signals. Mm-hmm. This is not at all nearly as exciting as a ghost light. Right. And the light had rarely been seen since the highway widening, which was in the late 1960s, and it eliminated that bend. Yeah. Some locals claimed that the light had still appeared while the highway was closed for a period during World War II. Then, the Star News researcher noted that a thorough check of archives, because that's what they do, read through all those old articles. Yeah. A thorough check of the archives 20 years earlier to verify this part of the tale had failed to reveal any evidence of such a closure taking place. So now, people just make stuff up, yeah, I guess. Like, I'm trying to figure out why they would close a highway during the war. I don't know. Maybe they're afraid of bombing? Except for I, that didn't In really North Carolina? To. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Not a clue. Well, and, and apparently they didn't actually close it. It was just a false memory, I guess. A collective false memory. I don't know. Yeah, so the Mandela effect. Apparently. The newspaper was the scene of a good deal of discussion on the subject. Mm -hmm. One resident, who is not named but is quoted, wrote that quote, the Mako light is what the Star News says it is. All the Mako light is now is just a lover's lane and a place to start a lot of trouble. End quote. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, I I could sort of see that that point. That's almost like the, get off my paranormal lawn. Mm -hmm. However, the light has retained some supporters. In the mid-1970s, a reporter for the Robesonian was eventually able to see the light, which he described as chilling and resembling the light thrown from a kerosene lantern as seen from a distance of about 50 feet. Mm. 
primarily white light with an ever so little reddish tint, which I think that is would be pink. pink. Yeah. It tended to travel down the center of the track, swinging to and fro with slight vertical undulations. I want to know who in the 70s wrote like that. It sounds very scientific journal. It, it really does. I don't know why I decided to read it, kind of in the form of William Shatner, <laughs> but it just... I, I couldn't help myself. It was like right. I was possessed. The railroad removed the track in 1977. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's where where it was, I Again. guess. And a trestle bridge, this is sad, related to the legend was destroyed. Which I love the look of trestle bridges. What do you like about them? I don't know. They're just, like, I love Centralia. Like the, the, is this related? Yes. It's just, I like places that are almost abandoned. Ah. Like the the peaceful, and I only use this term loosely, lonely places. Mm-hmm. It's like I and I've been to a couple of trestle bridges in Florida, where you know on the Swanee River that you can just walk across that are no longer used, and they're just like these grand effigies of what used to be. Oh, well, I know on the way to Cullowee last week we went under a trestle bridge that either was no longer in use or the trains are very cautious not to disturb the weeds up there. There were like trees and all kind of foliage growing up there. They were really cool looking. After the demolitions of the trestle bridge and the railroad, the light was no longer seen or at least no longer reported. Well, again, it's like, I mean, once you remove the tracks and everything, the ghost who's supposedly protecting people on the tracks is like, oh, Okay, my job's over. Cool. <laughs> maybe. I would have thought maybe he would just be attached to the land. It's like whenever you alter a house, the ghost sort of goes upstairs that don't exist anymore. Or well, goes I mean, a door um, that's been imagine, off. imagine, which you probably don't have to. You've been a job. You've been in a job for twenty years. Oh yeah. You still kind of are in that mind frame even after you've retired or left that job. So I mean, that could be. Sort of like that, where you're just like, you know, I'm. I, I feel like I just need to continue this. True. Yeah. Oh, there is a street in a nearby subdivision which bears the name Joe Baldwin Drive. Huh. Okay. Which makes me wonder if Charles Baldwin's kind of like, but I'm the real one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Similar headless railroad slash brakeman stories have been found associated with other ghost lights in the U.S. Like, it's like everywhere. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like the whole Resurrection Mary thing. I think a lot of railroads have this. Yeah. Um, Bragg Road ghost light and mm-hmm. Gurdon light. That sounds like something Muppety. I don't know. Mm-hmm. From a folklore perspective, the story connected with the Mako light, being substantially the oldest and best known and having received some national coverage, may have served as the point of origin for all the others. Yeah, like I can imagine them going, huh, why don't we have ghost lights? We should have ghost lights. People, let's have ghost lights. Come on. (laughs) I saw some headlights. Well, maybe it's a ghost light. I don't know. I do wonder how we get stories that travel. Like the idea of, oh, you know, you, the hitchhiker that disappears or... You have the like the telephone game. One friend tells another who tells five of his friends. They tell five of their friends. And it sort of propagates. Uh, true, but how do they... I mean, it's more than just telling people. It's then suddenly whoever you've told believes it's happened in my town too. Uh, that is the whole urban legend thing of I once knew a guy who this happened to. So it obviously happened to me. Um, yeah, which I'd love to cover a couple of urban legends, but... But what? We can do it. like Bunny Man Bridge. And Is that in our area? I'm not sure. I'll have to look through it, but... Well, if not, we'll have to make up a reason to include it. It's kind of a it's kind of a creepy story. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it would be. Yep. We do like our creepy stories. We do. Well, even with two lights, that's all we've got for this particular episode. All right, indeed. So it's kind of short and sweet. Light. It <laughs> it's, it's light. Short and light. Yes, indeed. 
I hope it still tastes good and is as less just filling. filling. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so it tastes less filling. If you liked the episode, give us some Facebook love. If you didn't like the episode, blame Scott. Yeah. But that will do it for for us this time around. We hope you enjoyed a little light humor today. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not. While visiting Southern Fried Spooky, check out our Facebook, Instagram, our Patreon. Mm-hmm. I'm Carolina Girl Heather. And I'm Florida Man Tony, who's currently swinging a light. Indeed. We'll see you again real soon. All right. Bye, Bye y'all. y'all. Do you feel enlightened after this I episode? I am totally enlightened. I don't know. After that episode, it just feels lighter in here. Absolutely. Yeah.